0: the darkness you shine, out of the ashes we rise, there's no one like you, none like you. Our God is greater, our God is stronger, God, you are higher than any other. Our God is healer, awesome in power. Our God, our God. And if our God is for us, then who could ever stop us? And if our God is with us, then what could stand against? And if our God is for us, then who could ever stop us? And if our God is with us, Then what could stand against, what could stand against? Our God is greater, our God is stronger, God you are higher than any other.
1: Yes, sir. Open your Bibles to Matthew 22. We want to preach the Word. Two words for you, grace and peace. Grace. All right. Thank you, guys. That's, that's a, becoming quite a greeting around Gateway. I don't know about if you guys do that just in your normal week, but I'm having people say it to me uh, pretty often, grace and peace. And those are two great words that the Apostle Paul greeted everybody with when he, uh, when he started out all of his letters. This summer, on Wednesday nights, sometimes we meet here at Gateway, and then some nights we're uh, out in the community and other places, and so there are some pieces of paper back there around the soundboard that have a Wednesday schedule if you kind of want to keep up with what we're doing this summer. And this particular Wednesday night coming up, we're going to be out at the camp that Wyatt was mentioning, the Mountain View Camp, which is about a mile down the uh, airport road. And that'll be at 5.30. You're invited to come out to the camp and eat. Then uh, after that, there'll be a closing camp ceremony. And it's always a really encouraging thing to see what the kids have been learning all week, to see uh, how how tired all the adults are that are out there. And you get to, one of the great things, one of my favorite things about it, is you get to meet quite a few families that don't attend church anywhere in our village, but they wanted their kids to have a camp experience. So it's a great opportunity for you to be a missionary, for you to go out and say hello to people, strike up a conversation, get to be friends with people. And so I hope you will plan to join us this Wednesday night at 530 out at the Mountain View Camp. Well, we want to welcome all of you who are here that are visiting. This is the time of year when a lot of people are popping in here for one week or weekend, and then there's quite a few people who are coming back for the summer or for a couple of months. We're glad you guys are here. And if, if if you are a person who is here for the summer or you're here visiting this weekend, Just just raise your hand up right now and let us see who you are and look around. Look around at who all's here. Look at all the visitors that are here, guests. Yeah, we're glad you guys are here. Especially those of you that are here for the summer. Help us get to know you. Come and meet some people that you see every week and let us get to know you. It's difficult sometimes to figure out who's only here for one week and who's here longer than that because of how many visitors we have at Gateway. But we're really really glad. That you're here. We are finishing a series today called Jesus Did Not Have. And we've been talking about things from the Bible that there are four things we've looked at in the Bible that Jesus, not only did he not have, but he chose. He made the choice not to have a home. Jesus made the choice not to have a wife. Jesus made the choice not to have stones to throw at people. Jesus made the choice not to have an ax to grind. And this week, as we finish, we'll be looking at this idea that Jesus did not have a line to tow. Now, these ideas for this lessons have come, as I've told you guys that have been here all along, they came from a song by Rich Mullins, and the song is called, You Did Not Have a Home. And it talks about our Savior that we put our hope in as a homeless man. And Rich Mullins is one of uh, my favorite artists, songwriters, and uh, he died back in the 90s, but he wrote a whole lot of Christian songs. One of the songs he wrote, I, I, I would almost bet all of us have heard and sung, is called Our God is an Awesome God. And most of us have either heard it or sung it and have just let our hearts just kind of really explode with saying how great God is. Rich Mullins wrote that song along with many, many others. He made 10 albums. He had multiple awards. He made millions of dollars. And Rich Mullins took all of his millions of dollars, all the money that he got, he gave it to his home church in Kansas. And he asked them to write him a check each month for whatever the average salary was in the United States of America. So whatever the average salary was, then they just wrote him a check that month for the average salary. And he told them, then all the rest of the money, all the other hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars, give it all away. Just give it away to people who need it. That's the kind of person he was. That's the way that he lived his life. The last couple of years of his life before he died, he moved to a Navajo reservation right here in New Mexico where he taught children. And that, you could say, about Rich Mullins, that he sort of did not, he didn't toe the party line of the Christian the Christian music industry. That's not what Christian music people do. He didn't line up with all of them. He didn't toe the party line. Now, I will say this real quick for those of you who, some of you really care about this kind of stuff a lot, that that word, the origins of that phrase, toe the party line, actually have nothing to do with your hands. They actually have to do with your toes, and they have to do with horse racing. Uh, you got to get toe the line, get the horse on the line, or with a foot race. So they had to do with putting your toe on the line, but Jesus didn't say a whole lot about horse racing, so I think what we're going to do is we're going to look at what this, this phrase has also come to mean, which is that people grab a hold of the, the party line, grab a hold of whatever it is that their group says we have to do. You need to stay in line with the group. Stand on the line or pull to help us accomplish what we're trying to accomplish. We have an agenda here, and we want you to grab a hold of the line or stand on the line and help us accomplish what we're here to do. And what we're going to find as we look at the Bible is that Jesus wasn't very willing to toe the party line. And we'll see if that has any implications for us. Let's pray and ask God uh, to help us and ask the Holy Spirit to teach us so that we might see if we, any of us, need to stop towing a party line. God, thank you for today. Thank you for our church family. Thank you for all the guests that are here, God. We just, we just pray, Lord, that they are blessed today. We pray they're encouraged. We pray for safe travel for those that are driving on today uh, to the, back to their homes. Lord, thank you for our children that were up here, their, their, uh, just their enthusiasm and their love for you. Thank you for the children that are going to camp this week. We're asking you, Lord, would you please work powerful miracles in their hearts? Would you help them know you like they've never known you before? We pray that if it's, if it's your will that it, some of them are at the place where they're ready to give their life to you that you would draw their hearts to you. If there's some that are ready to be baptized, we pray that they might be baptized this week. We pray for those high school students that are are out there, that are the uh, counselors, and we ask you to give them wisdom, even more wisdom than they would normally have on a regular week. They're gonna need it, God, so we ask you to be with them this week. Be with all the adults that are working with camp, and especially be with J.E. and Rosemary and the work that they do and helping direct our camp. God, I just, uh, I just really want, I'm, I'm thankful that Tabitha brought this up and reminded me, and I have heard those Amber Alerts going off this morning, and so don't know what those are about, Lord, but pray for your protection over those, those uh, children or people that have been uh, taken away from a safe place. Please, God, work powerfully there. Lord, we think about our summer coming up and our Mountain Family Fellowship and the unity of all believers that matters so much to us here at Gateway. And we pray, God, that as all those churches gather together, that you would help the world to know that you sent Jesus. I want to pray for one of those churches today. I pray for Christ Community Church there in Capitan. Thank you for Ed and Joe Beth. I know they don't have a lot of children at their church, but Ed and Joe Beth have just given their life to all the kids in Capitan. And I pray, God, that you would bless their ministry. I pray as Ed preaches today there that the gospel would be preached. Lord, we love you so much, and we're grateful for your Bible. Uh, we, we're we thankful that as we read it, we can, we can fall more in love with you. And that's what we pray happens today. We pray it all in the name of Jesus Christ, and everyone says, amen. Matthew chapter 22, and beginning in verse 15. That was a picture, by the way, that I was going to put up of Rich Mullins as I told you a little story about him, but I've I failed to do that. So now we'll read Matthew chapter 22, starting in verse 15. Then the Pharisees went out and laid plans to trap Jesus in his words. They sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians. Teacher, they said, we know you're a man of integrity and that you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. You aren't swayed by others because you pay no attention to who they are. Now, it's so ironic, if we just pause for a second, right here in Matthew 22, these Herodians and these Pharisees are saying to Jesus, you don't pay attention to people and who they are. You're not swayed by people and their opinions. But if you go back to chapter 21, the very last verse, if you've got your Bible open, what you'll find is these very people are swayed by the popular crowd. They're very influenced by what the powerful people around them think and don't think. So it's ironic that they're saying this about Jesus. Tell us then, what is your opinion? Is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? Do you think taxes are controversial? Yeah. That's why they're asking him the question. They're saying to him, are you... Are you pulling on the party line this way? Are you pulling on the party line this way, Jesus? Is it A or is it B? But Jesus, knowing their evil intent, said, You hypocrites, why are you trying to trap me? Show me the coin used for paying the tax. They brought him a denarius. And he asked them, Whose image is this and whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. He said, well, give back to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God's. And when they heard this, they were amazed. So they left him, and they went away. Jesus is brilliant. I mean, you'd think he would be. He's God, after all. But it's brilliant the way that he handles this very difficult Situation. What image is stamped, he says, on this coin? Caesar, they say. Well, he says, if it's got the image of Caesar on it, then why don't you just give it back to Caesar? And by the way, he takes them all the way back to Genesis chapter 1. Let us make God in our image. We are stamped with the image of God. People are. That's why. The Old Testament, one of the Ten Commandments, don't don't try to make a graven image. Don't try to make some kind of idol that represents God because God already did that for us. You know what he made? He made us. And if we'll live like him, there won't need to be a statue or there won't need to be some graven image that people can worship because they can see God in our lives. So Jesus says, hey, just give God your life. You're stamped with his image, so give him your life. See, Jesus thinks outside the lines. They're trying to say, is it A or is it B, Jesus? Which one? We got a question for you. Which way are you going to answer? And Jesus says, that's not even a good question. That's a bad, bad question you're asking. I don't have that line that you guys have that you're saying A or B. He says, I don't even have it in my hands. Not even pulling on it one way or the other. And there's a lot of times in our lives, folks, there's been a lot of times in my life, when we're pressured to do something because of the people or the group that we're associated with. It can be because of the political party that we are a part of. It can be because of the family that we grew up in. It can be because of our church denomination and the pressure that gets put on in that denomination. It can be because of the place where we're employed. It can be because of the social group that we Hang out with and the pressure that they put. And whatever that group is, whether they say it out loud or not, there's felt pressure. Grab a hold of the line. Help us pull to get our way. Step up to the line and help us stand right here on this line. You get up here with us. Some churches require, they require you to grab hold and do your part. Now, I think that's being part of a church family. Everybody. That's, that's part of the deal. Everybody does their part. But some churches require it. They say, now here's the deal. You're going to give us your bank account number, and you're going to be required to give an X amount of your money if you're going to be a member at our church. If you don't grab the party line, you're going to feel people's disproval. There are some churches that say, when you turn a certain age, you're going to go on a mission trip for two years. There's some churches that say, on this particular day of the week, you're going to show up and all of us are going to knock doors together. Now, all those ideas, giving and going on mission trips and inviting people to church, those might be all great ideas. But the point is, there are churches that say, if you don't do what we're saying, you're going to pay for it. You may get knocked off of our membership role. But certainly, even if it's not that, you're going to certainly feel the pressure and the disapproval of the group. I know one man that's a friend of mine here in town, and he didn't tow the party line with his church. And his family ostracized him. He was no longer allowed to come and eat with them at their house. No longer to come, could no longer come for any family gatherings. There was big, big pressure applied There is real pressure to toe the line. That's true for religion. It's true for politics. It's true for unions in the places we work, whether they're official or not. It's true in our families. It's true in the peer groups that we're a part of. I I read this story a while back about a lady that was 104 years old, and she was being interviewed, and they were asking her all kinds of questions. It was a really interesting article, but one of the things that, that she said The interviewer asked her, said, what is your favorite, what's your favorite thing about being 104 years old? She thought about it for a minute, and she said, no more peer pressure. (laughs) All her peers are gone. But I'm going to tell you this, peer pressure is not only for, you know, kids on the playground or high school kids, you know, out, you know, at a party. Peer pressure goes on as long as we live until you get to be about 104 There's going to be some peer group that you're in, and they're going to apply some pressure on you. You're going to go sit and have some coffee with some guys, and they're going to say, well, we think this way, and they're going to put a little pressure if you don't think that way. You're going to go with some ladies, and you're going to go shopping, and they're going to say, hey, we think it's this way, and if you don't agree with them, they're they're going to put a little pressure on you. Peer pressure goes on. It was the same during Jesus' day. Same things going on. Now I'm going to get a little nerdy here for a second, get a little Bible nerdy, okay? And I'm going to tell you about some of the groups that were applying pressure to Jesus that he lived around. Some of you know these people, some of you don't know them. If you listen close, or if you take notes, or if it encourages you to go study yourself a little bit more, I think it can help you in your Bible study. So just for a few minutes, I'm going to tell you about some groups that Jesus had to deal with. First, he had to deal with the Pharisees. The word Pharisee actually means separate or separatist. And that is indeed what they did. They separated themselves by their strict behavior. They were patriotic about Israel. They did not uh, support the Greek way of life, which was called Hellenism. They rejected that. They drew lines where the Old Testament did not draw lines. Now, I think this was with good intentions. It's sort of like if you have a playground, but you go out and you put a fence around it 20 feet from the street so the kids won't run in the street. I think that's how they started out doing all of the rules that they did. But one example would be the Sabbath day. The Old Testament says, keep the Sabbath day holy. Stop working. Set it apart. Think about God. Slow down. Realize God's working even when you're not. Worship. How would I know if I broke this command? Keep the Sabbath day holy. Well, you could just ask the Pharisee and they'd tell you whether you were or not. Because they had made up a whole bunch of fences around this one law. Here's some of the examples. One of the fences they built is you were not allowed to spit on the Sabbath day. Because when it hit the dirt, it would stir up the dirt and that would be the same as plowing, or maybe you think about plowing, and you might go plow. A woman is not allowed to look in the mirror on the Sabbath day. She may see a gray hair and pluck it. That would be considered working on the Sabbath day. You couldn't travel more than three-fifths of a mile. You notice how I moved right away from that lady's gray hair thing I just went right on? You can can travel only three-fifths of a mile from your home. But here's here's the thing. See, this is what they did. They said you could go the day before, and you could put some food three-fifths of the mile away from your home, and then that would be considered your home on the Sabbath day, so you could go to that place, and then you could go three-fifths of a mile further. Isn't that crazy? Now, some of these, I mean, I've read these. I've studied and read these things, and I I read them from what I think are trusted uh, places, but this one just sounds like maybe somebody made this up. They said you can't carry clothes from a burning house. But you can put on multiple layers and wear them out of the house while the fire's burning. On and on and on. There were dozens, literally, of these kinds of rules that the Pharisees concentrated on. They concentrated on them so intensely that they lost sight. They completely lost sight of the forest for the trees. They lost sight of the God that they were trying to serve and love. And Jesus, when he shows up, he challenges them at every juncture where their fences have become more important than people, or their fences have become more important than their heart toward God. He had real pressure from the Pharisees. We know that. Anybody who's read the New Testament knows that. Also, the Sadducees. The Sadducees. This is a smaller group of people. The Pharisees are thousands. The Sadducees are probably just a few hundred people It's a small, wealthy, very wealthy, very influential group. They're political. They're very tied in with politics. And they disagreed with the Pharisees. They didn't believe there was any future life. They didn't believe in resurrection from the dead. They didn't believe in angels. I remember when I was a kid, and they taught us, you know, how do you know what a Sadducee is? Because they didn't believe in the angels or afterlife or resurrection, so they were sad, you see. It's bad. bad. (laughs) Help me remember, though. They did support the Greek way of life. They did hold on just to the Torah, not the the first five books of the Old Testament, not the rest of the Old Testament. So you can see there would be tension between even those two groups, right? There's another group that Jesus probably bumped into called the Essenes. This is a strict, strict, strict group of mystics who lived in a commune studying scripture every single day, all day long. They're so conservative that they considered the Pharisees to be liberal. Doesn't that sound like religion? Well, I mean, nothing like that happens nowadays, but I'm just saying, probably back in that day. This group actually is not mentioned anywhere in the Bible or in the New Testament. But the Dead Sea Scrolls were found in the ruins of the Essene community just a little ways away from where Jesus lived. And so it's likely that Jesus and his disciples probably had pressure from these people as well. In our text today, we heard about the Pharisees and then these people, the Herodians, the Herodians were concerned about politics. They're in favor of Herod. That's why they're called Herodians. They want Herod to keep his power in Palestine. And so by implication, they were supportive of Rome because Herod was under Rome's rule. And then on the opposite side of that, there was these people called Zealots. Now, by the way, none of these pictures are real pictures from the time when Jesus lived. Just want to make sure everybody got that. They're all probably from movies or something. But I don't know if this guy was actually who was supposed to represent uh, one of the zealots or not. But he looked mad to me, and he looked like he might be throwing a gang sign or something. So I kind of was like, maybe that's maybe that's who this guy is. So a zealot; these guys were politically radical. They wanted to overthrow the Roman government, and they would give their life to do it. They refused to pay taxes to Caesar. They regarded anything like that, any loyalty to Caesar, as a sin. And one of Jesus' apostles was a zealot. One of them was a zealot, Simon. Then there was this group, the Sanhedrin, 70 people, a council of 70 men, Pharisees, Sadducees, priests, scribes, and elders. Can you imagine me to get all those groups together? 70 of them, and they meet every single day, except on the Sabbath and on holidays, or uh, scriptural holidays. They meet every day to argue over this stuff. And figure out which way are we going to pull the party line? Which way is the Sanhedrin going to pull? There's all this tension there. They were led by the high priest who usually was a puppet of Rome. Their power really just rested in making religious decisions, even though they had an army, they had like a police force, but they could only rule on religious things, not on social things. And then lastly, I mean, there's more groups than this, but we'll just quit here. The last one would be the Samaritans. Samaria was north of where Jesus lived. And this is a picture somebody who would be like the woman at the well in Samaria, came in the middle of the day. The Samaritans lived in this northern part of Israel. And you have to go back a ways to understand the relationship. You have to go back to the captivity that happened in 587 B.C., 600 years before Jesus shows up. Here are the Babylonians taking Israel off into captivity. And they left some of the people, probably the lower you know, lower class, people that were either slow or people that were old or people that were weak or people that couldn't keep a job. They probably left the people there that they thought weren't very valuable. And they took all the young, strong people away. And those weaker people that they left behind tried to survive and they intermarried with other groups and they, they intermarried with other religious groups and with other racial groups. And so 70 years later, when the Israelites are released from Babylon and they come back and they rebuild the wall and the temple and all that stuff, guess what those people who come back from captivity do? They say, you guys can't help us because you're not real Israelites anymore. And they wouldn't let them help. You're not part of the group anymore. And this animosity over these hundreds of years has grown and grown and grown. And when Jesus shows up on the scene, the Samaritans and the Israelites, they hate each other's guts. They can't stand each other. All of this is the tension that Jesus lives in. Some of you are wondering, why did I come to church today? What does this have to do with me? What does this have to do with anything? Well, like I said, it might help you understand when you read the New Testament a little bit better. But the main reason that I shared this with you today is I want you to understand Jesus is in the middle of religious and political tension just like us. Too often we make Jesus into this little character, and the Bible times are these sweet times where everybody is smiling and they're all happy. No! It was just like our times. People were mad at each other, people were angry, people were looking for a way to fix things. People hated what those people thought, and they hated what they thought, and they were tugging. On the line, different directions. Today, there is a lot of tension, isn't there? There's a lot of tension in our country. There's a lot of tension between conservative church of Christ and more progressive churches of Christ. There's a lot of tension. There's tension in other denominations between people who are orthodox and they're trying to hold on to the Bible and the truth of what the Bible says And other people in those denominations are what are really true liberal theologians. There are many people today who go to churches who truly do not believe that there was a virgin birth. They do not believe in miracles. They do not believe in the resurrection. They believe all of that stuff written in the Bible is kind of a fairy tale, and it's for moral lessons for us to learn how to be good people and live the right way that's a lot of tension. There continues to be a lot of tension in our country because of racism and because of hate. There's great tension in our country between pacifists and between those who would love to nuke the whole country of anybody who threatens us and our way of life. There's a lot of tension between those who hold on tight to our constitution and the rules and those who would alter the fabric of our country towards something that resembles socialism there is a lot of tension. There's tension between supporters of Hillary Clinton and between supporters of Donald Trump. And then there's tension between them and people who just don't care anymore. I don't know whether this is true or not. It looks pretty true. Most of you that are on Facebook have seen it. And i it looks like it's real, okay? It's, it's this lady right here who Her name is Mary Ann Alford. It says, Faced with the prospect of voting for either Donald Trump or or Hillary Clinton, Mary Ann Nolan of Richmond chose instead to pass into the eternal love of God on Sunday. May 15, 2016. I don't know if it's real or not, but it looks pretty real. And it feels real because there's a lot of people who feel this way. There's just a lot of tension in our country. Our context is similar to Jesus' context. And it's hard sometimes. It's hard to know what to do sometimes. It can be easy just to grab a hold of the party line of the people you're friends with, of the family you grew up in, of the peers you're around, without really thinking, just be like, I'm just going to pull with these guys. I don't want to cause any problems. Here at Gateway, our mission, our mission is to grow closer to Christ and to encourage others to grow closer to Christ. That is our mission here. And so just as we finish today, let's think for just a few minutes about the way that Jesus handled this pressure with no line to toe in his hands or line to stand at on his feet. Jesus listened to his Father's voice as we read this morning in our Scripture reading. He followed his father no matter the consequences, no matter who got upset, no matter who it offended, no matter what it was going to cost him personally, no matter if it got him killed, and it did. It didn't matter because he listened to what his father said and he did that. That's what he had in his hands. Listen to these verses real quick. These are just these uh, three verses as we finished today about Jesus. Matthew 15, verse 12. The disciples came to Jesus and they said, do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard you say that? They were offended. And Jesus, as the text goes on, He's, he, he doesn't say this, but he basically says, I don't care. He says, let them let be. Let them go. They're blind guides anyways. See, Jesus is not worried about offending people. Sometimes we can be so worried about offending everybody. There's even people who have a doctrine that says, well, we can't do anything at church if it's going to offend someone that's not biblical. Now this lesson isn't about that, but if you believe that's biblical, let's you and I sit down and look at the Bible because the Bible does not say, don't do anything that will offend people. The Bible doesn't say that. The Bible says, listen to your father and do what he tells you to do. That's what the Bible says. Now God, now Jesus isn't out to offend people. He's not, he not have a goal, like, I want to go offend everybody. But he's not worried about it when he does God's will, if it does offend somebody. This next verse, he's talking to Pilate, and Pilate asks him, he says, are, are it, these people are telling me you've got your own kingdom. Are you trying to take over for Rome? What are you doing here? What's going on? Pilate's trying to figure it out. He can't figure out what's going on. And Jesus says this, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now, my kingdom is from another place. Jesus is not worried about what's going to happen to kingdoms on this earth. He created a kingdom that's above all of the small kingdoms of this earth. And we are in that kingdom called the kingdom of God. That's where our hope is, in the kingdom of God, not in any kingdom on this earth. Our hope is in the kingdom of God. This last verse is in the Old Testament. And a lot of Old Testament scholars believe that this was actually Jesus who the Scripture is referring to when it says this man showed up. So perhaps it was Joshua chapter 5 Verse 13, when Joshua, Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and he saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua went up to him and asked, are you for us or are you for our enemies? A or B? That's the question and you have two choices. Which one is it? Neither. Bad question. Neither. Neither. But as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. And Joshua falls face down to the ground in reverence. And asks him, what message does my Lord have for his servant? The commander of the Lord of the army replied, take off your sandals. The place you are standing is holy. And so Joshua did. Whose side is Jesus on? He's not on either side. Because he's above all the sides. He's above all these peer pressures. He's above all the political parties. He's above all the governments. He's above all. That's who he is. He's the king of kings, the Lord of lords, the alpha and the omega. He is God almighty. And he's not on a side. Neither, he says. This lesson today is about Hope. That's what it's about, folks. It's meant to challenge you and me to look in our own hands and think about and evaluate what am I holding on to for hope? What am I hoping will make everything turn out? good or okay or right? What am I hoping in? The world around you, everybody around you is asking, is it A or is it B? Those are the kind of questions they're asking. Is your hope in Republicans or is your hope in Democrats? Is your hope in that church or is your hope in this church? Is your hope in that person over there or this person over here? And we can honestly say, I'm not pulling either direction on that line that you have your hand on because I'm following a guy who did not have a line to toe. Now, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with being involved in politics. If you're involved in politics, praise God and I'll pray for you. That's awesome. That is great. You go be involved in politics. There's nothing wrong with that unless you are putting your hope in politics. Our hope is in the kingdom of God and the king of kings. Can I hear an amen for that? Thank you. I was afraid I was only me up here by myself. I'm hoping you guys are with me. Look at your hands. Let's finish. Look at your hands and just, just stare at them for a minute. And I want you to think and ask God to reveal to you What are you hoping in? What are you holding on to and what are you hoping in as you look at your hands? And I want to finish with this prayer for you from the book of Romans as you look at your hands. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and let's worship the King of Kings.
0: Lord, the light of your love is shining.